0: Okay, Matthew 14, verse 22. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. Yep. And to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray, and when the evening was come, he was there alone. So that's one scenario of what's going on, and we could see why he, he sent them away, told them to, to get into a ship, and then he, he went up into a mountain and prayed. <laughs> Verse 24 says, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, For the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I Be not afraid. And uh, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be you, tell me to come unto you on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous or very strong, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O you of little faith, wherefore did you doubt? So we see there was a storm. Uh, And of course, Jesus knew beforehand that there was going to be a storm. And he told them to get into a ship. He went up into a mountain and prayed. And he knew that they were going to be in the midst of that storm. But he also knew that he was going to go and meet them right in the midst of it. So we see that there's a storm. there There was trouble. There was fear. And so there wasn't rest. And so then... I'll read these scriptures and then we can. Isaiah 57, verse 20. Well, verse 19 says, I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him that is far off and to him that is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked, are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt, there is no peace, says my God, to the wicked, and of course the wicked here is always referring to the unbeliever, and of course it's referring to those that that aren't saved first and foremost, but it's also I'm speaking to those that simply just don't believe and don't trust. And when that happens, we see that the troubled sea causes that particular person not to rest. And when we don't rest, and there's trouble, the waters, they cast up, it says mire and dirt. And that's the only thing that we can be occupied with when we're not occupied with Christ. So Peter, he was doing fine as long as he kept his eyes on Christ. He could walk right in the midst of the storm. He could walk right on the water. He was walking above and on top of all the trouble and all the winds and everything that was contrary. And these things, uh, these scriptures here are very... uh, Uh, incredible in the sense of there's so much teaching here that we can glean out of here but the reality is is that right in the midst right in the midst of our trouble right in the midst of the storms Christ is right there he's right there because remember in Hebrews 13 5 he said I will never no never No, never leave you, nor forsake you. He said in Joshua 1, verse 5, I will not fail you, nor forsake you. And I will go with you, even unto the end of the age. That's where I'll go in Matthew 28, uh, verse 19 and 20. He goes with us. And so, there they are. They're right in the midst of the storm. And Jesus comes and then there's great fear. There's, a, there's great fear. But then Jesus simply says one word, come. Come. And so Peter, he's looking right at Christ. He's looking at him. And in Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, looking away from all that would distract unto Jesus And when we do that, there's so much in the trouble and in the storms that can cause us to be distracted and to look away from Christ. But when we do, when we look at Him, when we gaze at Him, when we believe Him, when the wind, and remember, it says the wind here was contrary. In Matthew 14, verse 24, the ship was right in the midst of the sea and it was beginning to be tossed with the waves. And for the believer, we can get into circumstances and situations where it seems like our whole life is being tossed to and fro. And then the wind comes in and it's contrary. And that could speak of the fact that Satan in, Ephes- in Ephesians two. 2 He's the prince of the power of the air. That's who he is. He's the prince of the power of the air. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he's the God of this world. And he will always come in. When we're in the midst of trouble, when we're in the midst of seeming the the raging sea, our mind and our emotions can be raging in trouble and things that we're occupied with and then the wind comes in the atmosphere and it's contrary, it speaks contrary of to who we are in Christ contrary to the fact that he's always come through he's always there with us to never leave us nor forsake us and he told Peter and the disciples to get into the ship and go before him to go to the other side and because who would be there? Who would be there? And of course he would be there. But he goes before us. Just like the high priest in Joshua 3 verse 6. The high priest is Jesus. He, he goes before us. He goes with us. He goes in us. And when we're in the midst of the sea, the raging sea, the mind and the emotions and the wind from the atmosphere is contrary and by sight it looks like we'll perish. Well, in Second Corinthians 4, verse 17, we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. Because the things that are seen are temporal. <clears throat> And, but the, and the things that are not seen are eternal. That's Second Corinthians four eighteen, because the seventeenth verse says, "For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, and most storms, your know, hurricanes and all of those, most of them don't last very long. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, it says, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal." Weight of glory, meaning there's something that God has for us that's of eternal value in the storm. And He comes there to meet us. He comes there as our very life. And that's what He imparts to us. And He's in the midst. And He calls us in the midst of our trouble, the midst of the storm. And thank God we don't have to be tossed to and fro in Ephesians 4.14 by every wind of doctrine. We don't have to do that. Because we have, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16, we have the mind of Christ. And He has proven Himself to us over and over again just how faithful and true He is. He isn't anything other than faithfulness and truth. That's who He is. And so He calls us to walk. And as long as our mind is occupied with Him in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the wind, we will be able to walk above it all. The reason we can do that is because we are seated with Him in Ephesians 2, verse 6, in the heavenly places. We're seated with him, meaning we we completely rest in the one who's finished every single thing for us. Remember in Isaiah 46, verse 10, he declares the end from the beginning. He sees, the, he sees us perfect, God the Father sees us perfect in him. Why? Because Christ is our end. He's not only our beginning. The God of the beginning, constant, the constant beginning that we have in Him, and He is our constant end. And that's what He has for us, right in the midst of the sea. And that's a beautiful thing to understand. Now, Peter was walking on the water because he was looking, he was occupied with Jesus Christ. He was in a place where God, through us being occupied with Christ, calls us to walk. He wants us to allow our life to be governed, and that's what it speaks of our walk, to be governed by Jesus Christ. And in that sense, like Peter, we will be outside of all the support of the natural Because we are looking, and we are occupied with Him, with our God, with Jesus Christ, who is the supernatural Son of God, clothed in humanity. And He calls us, come. Come with me, because when we are occupied with Him, He is our center. When we're not occupied with Him, just think of all the other things that become our center. He's our object. And when He's not our object, oh boy, what, what, can, what becomes the object? The raging thoughts, the raging imaginations, the wind that's contrary from the atmosphere comes in. And the storm comes in and begins to cloud The judgment. Cloud how we should think. Does away with discernment. So what does he do? What is Jesus doing? He tells us to go into the ship. He tells us to go right in the ship. And that ship's going to bring us right into the midst of trouble. But before that trouble ever came towards Peter, before anything ever came to you and I, Jesus Christ is there interceding for us, Mm -hmm. even before it happens. And then he comes, his word comes to our mind, he comes and meets us right in the center as one who's been through it all. He's been through every single storm He's been through it. And he's above it. And that's our position in him. So, the troubled sea. Uh, Psalm 147, verse 2, is amazing. It's an amazing uh, scripture. Let me read it. There's a couple of verses there in Psalm 147. And these were some of the things that we shared uh, this morning. Uh, as God was just giving me uh, these thoughts. Psalm 147, verse 1 says, Praise you, the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God. Remember the picture of Peter? Uh, I mean, of Paul and Silas? They were locked up in jail in Acts, the 16th chapter, verse 25. They were beaten, and they were put in these chains. And then they began to sing and and offer praises and began to worship God in some very bad circumstances and situations. But they became occupied with him. And those chains fell off those chains that would have kept them in bondage. They fell off. They weren't occupied with their own thoughts. They weren't occupied with the circumstance of the situation. They became occupied with praising and worshiping God. The chains fell off, the doors flew open, and out they went. Well, it's good to sing praises unto our God, for it is good in praises comely. Psalm 147, verse 2 says, The Lord does build up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. He heals the broken in heart and and binds up their wounds. Really, their griefs is what the Hebrew says. He tells the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. And these storms come and God allows these storms to come because God wants to do something through Christ in us in a great way. So he meets us in the center of of the trouble. And you know what he is? In the center of that trouble, the thing that causes pain and grief, he comes in as the healer of the brokenhearted. He's the physician for their deep And open wounds. He's the physician. And you know it says right here, and I love the way the Hebrew puts it, the stars are his witnesses of his constant wisdom and mercy. There was once thought to be in our system, our our solar system, the galaxy, there were thought to be 360 million stars. Think about it. 360 million stars. Then man began to get a little more wisdom and a little more technology. And then he found out, uh-oh, there are over 360 million galaxies. And if there is an average of 360 million stars, well, how many would that be if there are three hundred? And 60 million galaxies. Well, look what he does. (laughs) He knows them all by name. He's named every one of them. He knows them all. And though they're far off, they reveal his steadfast order. And they are all untouched by the confusion that's going on in the earth. They're right in their course. They're all untouched. And they're his witnesses. And the stars, for you and I, may be too far off for us to individually recognize them. It's not so with him. He is familiar with every single one of them and he calls every single one of them by name. And the infinite wisdom of all of his glory shines out and reveals his incredible glory and order in the heavens. And it's in contrast to all the confusion that is going on in the earth. But yet the one that created all of those stars and those millions and millions of galaxies is the one who put on humanity and came right down in the midst of all the confusion. And he's with us right in the center of it. And he inhabits us. And he loves in Psalm 22, verse 3, to inhabit the praises of of his people. He loves, he, he joins right in with us and just gives honor and glory to God and to his name. Well, they shine, these stars, and they reveal an incredible order. And then it says, the meek, the Lord, in, in verse 5 it says, great is our God and of great power. His understanding is infinite. And we may not know the storms and what's going on. We may not know that. But the one who says, Come to me in the midst of it, be occupied with me, come with me, is the one who is of infinite understanding (laughs) and says one word to us. Come. (laughs) Come to the Creator Mm -hmm. in the midst of the storm. Come to the One who knows every single star by name. But come to the One, he says, because more than all of His creation, you and I are more important to Him. Because what would it be? It would be His glory and His power would be incredible. And obviously it was in this unbelievable creation. How much more glory and power would it be for that same creator to put on humanity, come here, walk before every single thing that we would face, be crucified, take upon himself all of that. And we've said before, everything that could condemn us and separate us from God he dealt with on Calvary, and when he be- uh, this uh, marvelous Creator, when he became a man, he became a man forever to forever identify with us and to be so one with us. And he desires to reveal that oneness to us, and he right in the midst of the storms, right smack dab in the middle then it says, the Lord lifts up the meek. That's what he does. He lifts up the meek. And, of course, meekness is who I am in my intimate relationship with Christ when no one else is around. I'm meek. Because I'm getting to know him who is meek and lowly, gentle and humble. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. And he wants to, to impart their very life that's ours, and have it to be shining like those stars right in the midst of the storm. And uh, so the meek begin to be fashioned to his wonderful glory in the midst of the storm. (coughs) And then they tread right on top all of the raging sea, all of the storms, all of those things, they tread on them. So as we begin to wrap this up uh, tonight, again, He is right in the midst of the storm. Right in the midst. He's in us. He's interceding for us. Before the storm comes, the thing that would test us, He's already interceding for us by name. If he can name the stars, it's much greater glory and a depth of love that he calls his own. He calls us by name in John 10:3 and four. We are a sheep, nothing like hearing his voice. When you and I are in the storm, when the wind, the seas are raging, our mind and our emotions Isaiah fifty nine nineteen. when the enemy comes in like a flood. Not if, but when the enemy comes in like a flood, a raging storm. Then it says, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. And that standard is Christ. That standard is Christ is for us. Christ for us, who against us. In Romans 8, verse 31. It becomes, the storms become our opportunity to be gathered to him in a greater depth, much greater depth. He is our life. We're seated above with him. And he calls us in the storm to become the very revelation and truth and epistle and fact that he has conquered everything. He's already conquered it all in Romans 8, verse 37. And we said this morning that he is Jesus Christ in us. Jesus Christ in us is in the midst of of the ruin. He is in the midst of the raging sea. He's in the midst of our trouble. He is the center. He is our center. He is our rest. He is our eye of calm in the midst of the hurricane. He is with us to strengthen us right in the midst of the contrary winds, right in the midst of the accusations of the enemy. In Revelation 12, verse 10, the storms come, the wind is contrary, and says, he's the accuser of the brethren. Two things that he's always doing, the enemy. He accuses God before man, and he accuses man before God constantly. Contrary. The wind is a is contrary. Satan is the prince and power of the air. He is the father of all lies in John 8, verse 44. He's a murderer from the beginning. There was no truth in him. There's none in him. What do the storms do? Here's what the storms do. This is why God allows them. Because this is why the storms, we said this morning, bring out the intense value of the Word of God. Sometimes we don't know the intensity of the Word, the glory of Jesus Christ, until the storms. Until we are in them and go through them and come out to the other side and we know, we've said before we know what the storms do to the oak tree the storms come and those roots, they just keep going down further and further going after that water going after the water of the word to strengthen to strengthen them to be nourished by it and in the midst of the storms God wants to nourish us and to cherish us with this love. And finally, the Word of God, and when we always say the Word of God, we are always speaking about the person of Jesus Christ. So the Word of God is always to be the distinguishing mark for us. It's what distinguishes us. It's what sets us apart from everything, is the Word, Jesus Christ. And it is the anchor of hope for the believer in God. It's an anchor. The storm may be raging with our little ship, but Jesus Christ is our anchor. And he keeps us steadfast. He keeps us strong. He keeps us going forward. Because as he is, as he is, So are we in this present evil world. And Jesus said, when he was beginning to get ready to go to the cross and to leave this earth scene, he said, in this world, in this troubled sea, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have already overcome the world. He's already overcome this whole Mm -hmm. system. And everything the way the world looks right now with the turmoil and the unrest and all that's going on is Jesus Christ in control. And He is. Mm -hmm. And He wants nothing more than to be in total control of our mind and our emotions At all times. So that when the storms come, we have an anchor and nothing can move us. Not a single thing. So Lord, we thank you for the truth of who you are. Thank you that you're our all. In Colossians 3.11, you are our all. You are all. We thank you tonight, Lord, for just your amazing love for us, your incredible grace. Thank you, Lord, that we can have boldness. I mean, we can have boldness. We should be able to have the most incredible boldness in the midst of the storm, considering the fact that in the day of judgment, we're to be bold. Why? Because as he is, so are we in this present evil world. And that's why there is no fear in love. There's no fear when we're occupied with the greatest lover of, of our soul, Jesus Christ. So in 1 John four seventeen and 18, he wants to make it extremely real and personal in our life. Thank you, Lord, that even in the midst of the storms, we can be thankful because you're there. We can be thankful for all things in Ephesians 5.20 and in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. We can be thankful in all things. Because God for us in Christ. Does it even matter who could be against us? So thank you and praise you, Lord, for your words. Just we just pray the Holy Spirit <clears throat> would take what has been given to us and enlighten it, and illuminate it, and enlarge it in our hearts, all through the night, all to the morning, and let it let us become in our life, the ones that will give the sacrifice of praise in Hebrews 13 verse 15. We thank you and praise you Lord in Jesus name. Amen.